and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Good morning, everybody. Do you ever notice things that you haven't noticed before and you start to see things in a new light? Uh, when we were playing that song, I was just thinking about the lyrics. Um, I know those lyrics, we've sung that song for years. Uh, but sometimes things just spark off or maybe connect with where you're at a particular point. Now what we're going to explore this morning, I think the chorus of this song is very appropriate. Charlie, can you just pop it up on the screen again for me, please? Um, <laughs> pressure's on, Charlie. No, uh, no, nah, nah, the one there. And the world becomes a fantasy. Um, and you're more than you could ever be when you're dreaming with your eyes wide open. You know, you can't go back again to the world you were living in because you're dreaming with your eyes wide open. We've gone a journey here as a community. We have left some stuff behind that we thought, that's not freedom, that's not life. We don't want to go back there. I would propose this morning, I think sometimes we do go back there. I think sometimes we go back to the things that we might have left behind. Um, because maybe we're not really living with our eyes wide open. Um, so we're going to explore this morning a concept which is the shoulds. Now, I'm going to speak for a bit, we're going to chat for a bit, then Joel's going to come and wrap things up with some thoughts. I feel like I'm going to throw the ball up and he's going to kind of smash it out of the park. That's kind of our concept for this morning. Uh, I've titled my bit of this morning, Should This Talk Be So Inappropriate? Because I want to focus on the shoulds of our lives. Do you have shoulds, things that you think you should do, things that you think you shouldn't do? I think we all have more shoulds than we realize. Um, so we're going to start by having a little think about them. Here at Q, we want to be curious about things because there are things in our lives that are really important. We can go through life completely blind to some stuff unless we wake up to it and notice it. So that's why it's important to be curious. And I feel like we're in a season of talking a lot about curiosity. This morning, I want you to get curious about your shoulds. What are the shoulds that you live your life by? So to start off around your tables, you've got two different colored post-it notes and you've got pens. I want you to just take one color post-it notes, share them out amongst your table, just one color. And you're going to have two minutes to finish the phrase, I should. I should. What for you are your shoulds? Have you all got a pen? Grab a pen and pick just one color post-it note. And I want you to get as many as you possibly can. See which table has the most shoulds. And then just stick them on the vinyl on your table. See how many you can do. Charlie, two minutes starting now. So we all have lots of different shoulds and shouldn'ts. 
Now, I've noticed that I've had an aversion to shoulds. I think I grew up having lots of shoulds. I've noticed I've had shoulds, and then I've thought, oh, I'm going to get rid of them all. I'll just do what I want. I don't even want to... I actually wrote a song that said, I should stop using that stupid word, which, again, is a little complicated if you're saying that you should stop saying should. But I think it's very easy to get there. When we have an understanding of how something's harmful, we then think, right, I shouldn't have that anymore. We are going to look at the story in Genesis of the Garden of Eden. Now, fortunately, archaeologists have recently discovered artwork on cave walls, which gives us a bit of an insight into the visuals of that story. So let's have a look at this story. This is the story of when um, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I've been thinking about this. Rob mentioned it a few weeks ago. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I wonder if we could call that tree the tree of shoulds and shouldn'ts. Something happened when Adam and Eve ate from that tree of knowledge of good and evil, or of the shoulds and the shouldn'ts. They suddenly became aware of things they weren't aware of before. So what happened to them? Let's have a look. Before they ate of it, they said, it says, they were naked and they felt no shame. They were naked and they felt no shame. They didn't think they shouldn't be naked. just wasn't an issue. But let's read. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Yet we've got the pictures. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. Possibly the funniest verse in the whole Bible. Can you imagine that moment? It's like, ah! So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. There we have an artist impression. Then the God character comes along and says, where are you? It's a good question. And Adam answers, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. It wasn't an issue before. So I hid. So God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree? Okay. Who told you that you were naked? That kind of caught my eye. I think many of the shoulds that we have on our table exist because of what we've been told we should or shouldn't do. Um, I was reading some stuff this week from a psychologist called Sally Hilton, and she proposes that the shoulds and the shouldn'ts that we have are often given to us by society. I'll read what she said. Shoulds are messages that we have taken in from the outside. Very often we tend to internalize these messages so they feel like our own. But shoulds come from our families and our friends, and they reflect those things that are highly valued or considered to represent success in life. Shoulds do more than reflect our own worldview. They are a mirror to our culture. Our culture bombards us with messages about what our lives should look like, what success should look like, what our bodies should look like, what good parenting should look like. That came up on our table. Shoulds tend to represent a set of cultural norms and ideals around which we organize our lives and experiences. I wonder whether you agree. Just because, our, just because we put something on the screen or we propose it, that's that person's perspective. I wonder what you think about that. How many of the shoulds that you have have come from your family, your parents, 
your friends, as God said in the story, who told you? Now, recently, Rob talked about this story of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he was talking about how we formulate our beliefs. And he said that eating from that tree represented like downloading this knowledge. And he said, you're not really meant to get knowledge just by this instant download. Um, He said, God's desire is for humans to acquire knowledge through quest, because you then acquire knowledge through experience and in relationship. That's interesting. You hear a phrase like that, um, like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is about a download of knowledge, but none of us actually do a download into our brain yet. We're not plugging our brains into a computer and just downloading how we should live. So where do they come from? I think it is those things. It's our family. We maybe just download a should. We haven't really thought about it or processed it. We've just taken it in. What shoulds is culture telling you you should or shouldn't do or should or shouldn't think or should or shouldn't value? And are you just adopting that because it's what it says on Instagram or it's because it's what the leading party says at the moment or because it's what your favorite celebrity says? Or are you actually processing it? Who's telling you these things? Um, Now, I've probably given shoulds a bit of a bad name so far. And one thing that Rob said that I liked, he said, when we acquire knowledge just as a download, it can be unhelpful because we haven't thought it through. But when we download knowledge through Quest, or not download it, we learn it, we accumulate knowledge through Quest, you then acquire knowledge with experience and in relationship. Now, I wanted to tell you an example of how that happened this morning. Did you notice as you came in through the blue ramp anything different today? So we've got some pictures that we've put up just to... Give a little bit of something pretty out there and a bit of life. Um, And the picture says, welcome. Now, one of my jobs this week was to put those pictures up. Easy. I maybe just drill some holes, put some screws in. So I was faced with the challenge of how am I going to do this? How should I approach this job? And wisdom struck in my brain somehow. I'm not sure how it happened. I thought, I'm going to ring Dave Craven. Because Dave's probably done this before. He probably, through Quest, maybe making some mistakes of his own, maybe by learning from experience, has figured out how to do this. So I rang Dave and I said, look, here's my plan. I'm going to use these nails, bang them in. And he was like, no, 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 no. You're going to be there all day if you try and do that. You're going to waste so much time. What you need to do is use these very specific nails. You'll find them down here. If you do that, it'll work. Followed Dave's advice. The job was a lot easier than it would have been. Now, Dave gave me a should. You probably should do it like this. You don't have to. I'm not going to lock you in prison if you don't. I'm not going to hate you if you don't. But I have learned from experience some things. I think there's some shoulds in life that are just useful advice that actually you probably should follow the advice of somebody who's got some experience. So thanks, Dave. Okay. Who decides what is appropriate? The title of my talk today was, Should This Be So Inappropriate? Um, Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. But when they ate from this tree of shoulds and shouldn'ts, they suddenly felt that being naked was inappropriate. Now that word appropriate or inappropriate has been banging around in my head for ages because I love words that have double meanings. Now, um, appropriate can be appropriate, something that you should do in a particular context, but it also can be appropriate. Do we know what appropriate means? Basically means you 
take something and you make it your own. We have a uh, definition on the screen of the etymology of appropriate. And you can notice on there, in late Latin, the word appropriate evolved into making one's own. When you appropriate something, you make it your own. So, I wonder whether what is appropriate, or what we consider appropriate, comes from what we appropriate into our culture. Now, in medieval times in Britain, there are some things that were considered appropriate that now we think aren't appropriate. For example, it was appropriate for children under the age of 10 to go to work. Six-year-old, they'd be like, come on, you're old enough now, down the pit, or whatever they were doing. That was considered appropriate. No one batted an eyelid. It wasn't inappropriate. It's what children should do. It was appropriate for certain criminals to be hung or for witches to be burnt at the stake. That's what you should do to a witch was the logic of the time. It was entirely appropriate for young teenage girls to be married and become mothers. No one was saying like, we shouldn't do this. That's what they thought you should do in medieval times. So I think what this highlights is what is appropriate changes. What we think we should or shouldn't do changes. When we were chatting on our table, one of the things that came up is like, what shouldn't you do? Well, smack your kids. Now, I grew up in a generation where my parents were reading books that were telling them, you should smack your kids. So even in 20, 30 years, you can see in culture, things that you shouldn't do, you now should do. There are loads of things in culture that you might have been locked up for 100 years ago, that now it would be considered inappropriate if you thought it was inappropriate to do those things. Culture can really change. So, if it can change that much, how important is it what you are appropriating into your life? One of the things I'd like you to take away this week is consider what your shoulds are. Notice them. When you say the word should this week, be curious. Where has that should come from? Now, in our next little discussion bit, before Joel comes up to speak, I want you to look at your shoulds on your table and I want you to ask two questions. Why should you or why shouldn't you? Where has that come from? And also, who told you this? Who told you that you should or shouldn't support Man United? Or you should or shouldn't hit your kids? Or you should or shouldn't try and please people? Or you should or shouldn't read more? Where has that message come from? Have you actually thought through it, are you living with your eyes wide open, or are we just sleepwalking through life, just adopting the shoulds that society, family, culture, religion might just impose on us? Because if we really want to be free people living fully, I would suggest that we need to think through the shoulds that we have. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't have them, but if you're going to hold a should, appropriate it, make it appropriate because you've made it your own. Make it your own and own it. Because what we appropriate will determine the values that we hold. And that will probably determine the things that you aim for in life. It will probably determine where you end up and what your life becomes. So these shoulds that we live by are really important. So I'm going to give you a bit of time. Have a chat through. Uh, what are your shoulds? Why shouldn't you? And who told you this? And then we're going to hear from Joe. Okay. So just as we um, sort of like take today to its conclusion. Um, I'd first of all just like to thank um, Hannah 
my good friend and also my mother this week for lending me an ear. Because um, what I'm going to bring to you now has been quite a wrestle for me this week. Um, it's interesting how sometimes you know you have a thought, but to actually bring that to something that is cohesive and can be presented can be quite difficult. So I, I really am grateful for the people I have in my life that are willing to... Uh, to just listen sometimes, which is what you need, and, and kind of encourage. So thank you very much. I really do appreciate it. Now, I spoke a few years ago on the tyranny of the shoulds, a phrase coined by the psychologist Karen Horney. It is a section from her book, The Neurotic Personality of Our Time. Just like I mentioned the other week, the book Falling Upwards by Richard Rower. It had a huge impact on my life. This book was extremely relevant in my journey. The general idea is that our personhood is split into two selves, the real self and the idealized self, and that there is an endless wrestle as to what we should be, keeping us from being our true authentic selves. Our desperate need for approval, certainty, and belonging becomes so absolute that we lose all sense of who we are, leading to a life of self-criticism if we fail to uphold both internal and external demands, whether these are perceived or real. Now, as with a lot of things on my journey, my views on the real versus the ideal have somewhat developed over the last few years. I no longer view the self as real versus ideal, but more conscious versus unconscious. When I use the term consciousness, I am referring to one's awareness of his surroundings, his choices, his beliefs, his feelings, as an active process and not living by passive and subconscious default. Is the pursuit of being an ideal man fundamentally bad as long as this is achieved consciously, humbly, and rationally? Is it ideal for us to have self-esteem? Is it, is it ideal for us to know our worth? Is it ideal to know we are sons of God? Is it ideal to know our value? Is it ideal to live our life as a responsible human being? Is it ideal to be at peace? I personally believe that all these things are perfectly noble aims. If, however, your definition of ideal and its pursuit is irrational and requires endless sacrifice, being driven by duty and not conscious choice, this can never lead to a peaceful or free existence. The tyranny of the shoulds still holds as a great psychological idea and, dis and its discovery has very much applied to me today. Shoulds in and of themselves can be extremely useful as Danny was mentioning earlier. One could ask, should I look left and right when crossing the road? <laughs> well, it would be a good idea if you hold your life as a value and want to survive. There are many other examples I could use here, uh, but we don't have time to go into them, and some of them may have come up around your table. The problem arises when the shoulds become tyrannical in nature. A tyranny is a system that is both cruel and oppressive. If a should becomes a duty, rather than a conscious and inspired decision to act based on one's value systems, this has to be called into question. It shouldn't require duty, sacrifice, or compulsion for you to look both ways before you cross the road. And if it does, come and talk to me and we'll have a discussion. <laughs> so why do so many of us wrestle with this concept of shoulds? 
and its profoundly tyrannical nature. I grew up under the view that altruism and duty were noble and honorable traits. Self-sacrifice and service to others form the very justification of my being. Imagine this. Jesus literally gives up his life for you. Anything less than sacrifice is unacceptable. In addition to this, anything less than sacrifice given by others was often perceived as disloyalty. It was the very basis of how I judged both myself and I judged others. I was so envious of freedom, but yet so scared of it at the same time, that rather than challenging my own psychological and spiritual framework, I just became resentful and bitter. It's taken me nearly 20 years to get this measure out of my system. Altruism isn't to be confused with kindness, goodwill, or respect for others, but rather self-abnegation. The issue here isn't whether we can't choose to give of ourselves to that which we love, value, and cherish. It's that our sacrifice to the demands of the shoulds as the sole moral purpose of our existence, it is held as the highest moral value. It was encouraged that any sacrifice made to the benefit of others was good, but action taken for one's own benefit was evil, of the flesh, and self-righteous. Incidentally, the morality of altruism is one of the dominant principles guiding society today. This isn't just a Christian phenomenon. Now, we must delve a little bit more into the idea of values and why they are so important. Just like we mentioned earlier, looking left and right when crossing the road shouldn't require duty. If one holds their life or the life of another as valuable, then to make the correct choices to do that which preserves your life and theirs is rational and doesn't require any sacrifice at all. Some of you may have heard of the hierarchy of values before. The convictions that determine and guide our actions towards things that we want or wish to keep. For example, whilst it used to be a big should, attending church should not require sacrifice. If it is a value to you, you will consciously choose to show up because it benefits both your life and the continuation of the organization. If our upholding of the shoulds is simply because of duty, then we need to check our premises. I would like to add, this doesn't mean a lot doesn't get done with duty. We were just having this conversation earlier. Um, I sometimes look back at the period where duty was a big thing within the context of the church, and my, did we get stuff done. Um, but it doesn't necessarily make it right or healthy. Um, and we've had to really challenge that, that premise as we've walked the journey. Truth is, duty is a psychological killer. What do we mean by duty? It's the moral necessity to perform certain acts for no other reason than to attain a perceived ideal, it's often irrational, please people, seek approval or atonement from a higher authority if in the context of church. Duty destroys joy, it destroys value, it destroys love. After all, who would want to be loved because of obligation and not because of choice? And duty destroys self-esteem. The acceptance of full responsibility of your choices and their consequences 
is sometimes so demanding for many people that they look to escape it and surrender to the safety that duty has to offer. But most, if not all, will eventually crumble under this burden. I find it interesting that Jesus used the term, come to me all you who are weary and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, there is a wonderful connection in all of this between the biblical teachings of law and freedom. So much of the New Testament is explaining how, if you live under the law, it still demands, still demands sacrifice, whether it be simple as flour or to a lamb. The Ten Commandments are full of shoulds and shalls. This doesn't necessarily mean what they propose is irrational or not a wise idea. Now, I've got a fun fact about the Ten Commandments for you. Did you know that they didn't enter the Christian tradition until the 13th century? It was actually a late adoption. It was incorporated into a manual of instructions for those coming forward to confess their sins. So the Ten Commandments wasn't actually a big thing in the Christian world. It was actually brought in as a way to initiate thought of when people were coming forward to confess their sins. Now, this really challenged me, and I'll tell you why. Have you ever thought that we might be upholding shoulds and traditions that weren't even meant for us? Think about that for a second. In your life, do you live your life by certain shoulds and demands that have been handed down to you that weren't even necessarily meant for you to live by, and yet you've lived your whole life by it, never even stopping to question whether those things were actually meant for you or not? That's a little challenge for you to take away today and have a little think about, because I think it's a really important question. Um, it reminds me again of the scripture, your, tradi your traditions have made the word of God to have no effect. The Apostle Paul talks about the law, the shoulds, being the ministry of death. Why? Because it's punitive and demands sacrifice. But he then goes on to declare that we are set free from the law of sin and death, and that the law can't change hearts and minds, and it was for freedom that we were set free. Shoulds and the fear of death can be paralleled here. In Hebrews 2 verse 15, the message of Christ was freedom to those who were subject to lifelong slavery and misery under the tyranny of the law. So as we bring this to a close, I've read an amazing book over the last year. It's taken me that long. Um, it's 700,000 words. It's the, one of the longest books I've ever read. Um, and there's a speech in it by a man called John Galt. The speech in itself is 60 pages and is a three-hour audio. If you want to listen to it, feel free. I mean, it's mammoth. It's like a whole part of, a, of the book. Um, in all honesty, you could miss out the whole book and just read the last part. It kind of... No, no, I'm... I was, a, right, I was a bit disappointed, actually, because I read, it's bigger than the Bible, this book, right? So then by the time I get to the end, I think, so all of this is just a summary of everything I've just read, and it's taken me nearly a year. But it was worthwhile, don't get me wrong. Um, and, it's, and it says this, now there is one word that can blast self-sacrifice out of existence, and that's the word, why? Thank you, Georgia. Why are we doing what we're doing? For what purpose? For whose benefit? What are your values and why? Are you living under the fear of death and punishment? Or are you freely and consciously with integrity 
Are you free with integrity, honesty, justice, and pride? You see, law brings death, misery, and destruction. And like the tyranny of the shoulds, will always lead to choices based on duty and task that will lead to resentment and judgment. The New Testament biblical writers realized that living by the law was futile and it diminished purpose and joy. So what are we going to do about it? Have any of you been at a junction where the lights have failed before? Yeah. Now, you would think it would be absolute carnage. I can see I'm glad. I'm glad you've understood, Jenny. It's not. It's the opposite. It is the calmest, most respectful, um, what's the word, conscious place to be. Why? No law is required. It's because everybody in that moment knows if they are to value other people's lives and value their own, it is within their self-interest and the interest of others to be very cautious, to consider, to think before they slam on the accelerator and fly through. Because you could either end up losing your life or someone else may end up losing theirs. Notice no law is required. All you need to use is your brain, right? And like I said earlier, that hierarchy of values. The endless cycle of the tyrannical, the tyrannical shoulds are perpetuated by our own minds the only way to end it is to consciously withdraw. For many of us, and this was certainly the case with me, my identity and self-esteem was tied to my acts of duty and self-service and the fulfillment of the should, and therefore letting it go was like losing an arm for me. We must revaluate our values in order to live a fruitful and purpose purposeful life. You see, purpose is the opposite of duty. I've preached on this years ago. Purpose produces passion, which produces joy of service without sacrifice. In healthy relationships and healthy transactions, get this, there should be no sacrificial victims. Your experience depends on how you think. It's not too late to begin a life without guilt or fear. You are capable of winning, but it does require a struggle as does any shift in mentality. Make the struggle purposeful. Do you wish to struggle clinging to precarious ideals? Or do you want a struggle that leads you to freedom? It requires dedication and the break away from your past to discover and fight for your values. But within it all, a joyous and purposeful world will await you. And that's it from me. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>